hello, hello. Hopefully all of you can see right now. <laughs> I started doing this podcast, started editing, and all of a sudden my light went out. And the light bulbs for this fixture are super small, never seen anything like it. And obviously I don't have any of those light bulbs at my disposal right now. So I just podcasted in the dark and I'm doing it right now. Yeah, so we're in the dark. If you want to, you can turn off your lights and join me in the darkness of Edge of Your Sea Podcast. This is episode 73. Our special guest is Randy Teeman, former Hall football coach. Yes, I say former as he just put in his resignation with the Red Devils. He was there for eight seasons and led them to the playoffs six times. We get into his career. He played for Hall in the 80s. He's been a fan since he was a little kid. He is a Hall Red Devil through and through. It was great talking to him, chit-chat about football during a crazy corona, COVID-19 quarantine time. We were not in the dark for that one, just in the dark putting the show together. So I'm going to keep this intro short. I really can't see a lot and sitting in the dark and staring at the screen, kind of making my eyes go crazy. Getting a little old, I guess. (laughs) But hopefully you're enjoying your week. It's Wednesday. By the time you hear this, it'll probably be Thursday. But if you're having trouble like me with your home, there is a company that can help you out with all of these needs. Whether it's a light fixture or an entire kitchen remodel, Olson Construction is here to help you. And me, because I'm definitely going to give them a call to see if we can do something about this light fixture. The family-owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows and doors, deck designs, remodels, and garage and room additions. Owner Keith Miles has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the way. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured at 815 910-5982 or on Facebook at Olson Construction LLC or email olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com Thursday I'm definitely going to check out the NBA Horse Challenge on ESPN two Chicagoans in the semifinals with Zach Levine and Allie Quigley from the Chicago Sky Zach Levine, of course, is with the Bulls. So I'm going to root those two on. Hopefully they can get through. Maybe they meet in the finals if they're not playing in the semifinal. That would be awesome. A real quick shout-out to the girls' basketball players that made the News Gazette All-State team. Mendota Jr., Amelia Bromenschenko. If you followed the show throughout the girls' basketball season, I think I had Amelia on twice as I went to games. She was mentioned all the time for accolades. And this is like her fourth All-State team that she just made. And she was on the first team. And this is not divided up 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, nothing like that. It is whoever plays the game of basketball from all over. With girls from Chicago schools, from schools from the Burb, and Little Old Mendota, which is a 2A school. So congrats to Bromo. Amazing, amazing for her. I believe I have said her season stats on here before, but just in case you didn't remember, the 5'10 junior guard had 26 double-doubles, 
and two triple-doubles, averaging 25.7 points, 12.5 rebounds, 4.1 steals, and 2.6 assists per game. Amazing stats, and she deserved to be where she was at. Also making the News Gazette All-State team, Hall senior Hannah Hart, who has also been on Edge of Your Seat podcast, made the special mentions team, and two Amboy girls, and junior Abby Payne and junior Mallory Powers also made the squad. So big ups to them. That is amazing. I know basketball seems like it was so long ago because we've been going through this insaneness, and time is flying, and you've been doing this for over a month, and sports have ceased, and everything else is falling apart around us. Sorry, I didn't mean to get dramatic there. But it is a really crazy time, and basketball does seem like it was forever ago. So it's good to see that in the news, in the headlines, and to reminisce on the great basketball seasons that those players had. Well, thanks for checking out Edge of Your Seat Podcast. You can listen to all of the previous 72 shows on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and Google Music. You can also email us edge of your seat podcast at gmail.com you can also hit us up on social media edge of your seat podcast on facebook and on twitter edge of your cp i don't know if i've said my name yet on this podcast i don't believe so i'm your host brandon lachance i appreciate all the listens and love the support thank you for everything we will be back on friday have a great show coming through just did the interview today on wednesday be two days old, but it's going to be fresh. Fresh, fresh, fresh for podcast. Should I tell you? Okay, it's Rachel Hickey. Won two state medals with the LaSalle Peru track team in the 800. Also did a lot in the 1600. Finished third with the 1600 relay team. Great track athlete. She is now a sophomore at Illinois State University. And she was a blast to talk to as always. So please come back on Friday for that show. Until then, take care, be safe. Peace. So times are still crazy. We're still quarantined. We're still trying not to spread a virus. The one great thing that we can still do is talk, reminisce, talk about the future, hopefully clearing up. And I have a great guest to do all of the above with. I am talking about former Hall football coach Randy Teeman. Randy, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Doing all right. I'm glad you said great because these are crazy times we're in right now, huh? Yeah, it is. It's uh, really way different than what normal is. After being quarantined and having this virus around, do you think us going back to normal is going to be normal as we know it? I don't think so. Just from what I'm listening to and reading, and I don't think normal as we know it will ever be the same. I have a feeling that things that we used to do, hugs, kisses, handshakes, the pre-game you know, rituals that we used to do with a lot of contact, I think all of that's going to change. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's, you know, it may come back in baby steps, but I think things are going to be slow at coming back. That may be a good thing and, and until we get everything figured out here. I agree. I just kicked a word the round change. There is going to be a big change with the Red Devils football team next year, and that is you are not going to be on the sideline. As I mentioned, former Hall football coach, you're not going to be there next year. Why did you decide to go? 
No, you know, uh, there's a few things that happened and, and not happened. My grandkids are getting older. They play in, in Wisconsin at uh, high school up there. And it's time for me to get up there and see them play. And well, my granddaughter will be a sophomore. My grandson will be in eighth grade. And they have organized football through the school. And he plays that. And he plays baseball. And she plays volleyball and softball. So I just think it's time for me to step back and, and get to see them play a little bit and do their thing. Is it going to be weird for you? I mean, you spent eight years with Hall? Yeah, eight seasons with Hall and, and uh, three on the fresh soft level and youth football before that. It's going to be really weird not being involved at all this year. And football in general, it, you know, I won't be coaching at any at any level, I don't think. So, you know, we'll just see what happens and see how I adjust to it. I, you know, so far it's been good, but this is the, you know, this is the tough stuff is the weight room and that kind of thing. Things you didn't, you're not going to miss. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and there's no sports going on anyway, so <laughs> there's nothing to be around. That's a big thing, too, and, and trying to keep your kids motivated through this. And, you know, it would be a really different situation for me if this was if I was coaching and this was going on, as it is for any coach right now. Coaching high school sports has never been called easy. You're dealing with, you know, 14 to 18-year-olds, boys or girls, depending on what sports you're in. You know, you have teenage attitudes and you have work ethic issues at times. But in your eight seasons, your first year you went 1-8. and eight. Your fifth year you went 0-9. Those other six years you made the playoffs and only one time did you not get to the second round. So what was it about your style or how you interacted with the, the kids, your players, that made you that successful? It's the kids. It's If they buy into what you're doing and, and they want to be successful and, and put in the work in the off season and those teams that made the playoffs did. I'm not saying the other teams did the other two teams didn't, but there was always an issue with one of them teams. Looking back on it, I don't think there was a lot of senior leadership on them teams. The first team there may have been with Landon and and a couple of them guys, that team we had in I think it was sixteen, there was only four or five seniors on that team. And not a lot of them got playing time the year before because we had a really good team with the, with that was with the Merkel and Hammonds and Pullum and and if kids don't get the experience and, and they don't get and they don't buy into waiting for their turn, then you know you, you're going to have problems. And we just didn't have a lot of leadership. I know in '16, I think that first year was a combination of everything with you know me taking over and them kids buying into what we were doing, and the kids after that seemed to, to buy in and do what we needed to do to be successful. Also with that 16 team, a lot of those kids were freshmen or sophomores. They ended up becoming really good players for you the next three years, but it was just kind of like a learning curve, I feel. Yeah, you know, those guys were, you know, the 16 team, the seniors were freshmen. They did a great job of, of committing themselves to football, and they were great kids. They were fun to work with. They were fun to be around, and that makes a big difference, too, when, when you know, you're really excited about being there and, and wanting to be around the kids, and for the most part, that's how every every class is, but these guys really just it made it fun to be around. I know as, you know, a parent or a coach, you never like it when there's a disciplinary issue or anything like that, but in Hall or with the football team, how did you go about handling stuff like that? Your basic rules that you went by, if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, they, they had a price to pay and they knew what it was and they, they signed off on that. And we pretty much stuck to that and it worked. For the most part, it worked. It, you know, It's when people get involved and they, and they don't understand the rules.
rules or they don't do what they're expected to do. And I mean, we had kids, some of our better players that, you know, made mistakes and got in trouble and, and they sat out games and they did what they had to do and just went on from there with that stuff. You know, you go over that before the season, they sign off on a paper saying they'll do this stuff and if they don't, they, they pay the price. Let's talk about how the game has kind of changed. I know you were a player in late 70s, early 80s. Fast forward to took over Hall in 2012, coach until the 2019 season. Talk about the difference of the game. I mean, it was probably more run-dominated back then. Now it seemed like when you had a good quarterback, you tried to throw as much as you could. Yeah, and I was fortunate. I had some good quarterbacks that played for me. We had skill sets to go with that, you know. We had kids like Merkel and and Brust and, and Montino and kids like that that could go out and catch the ball. And, and we had quarterbacks that could get it to them. A.J. Gaeta, you know, you can go on and on with the kids that we had that played receiver for us. And, you know, I was a run guy because that's what we did when we played. and We ran the ball and we were always successful doing that. And I enjoyed the run and Gary always had to run at all. And, but I got dealt some players and some situations where we could expand the offense. He kind of went to a system of, you know, everything was based off the winning tee, but we would put in more spread and pass stuff out of that. The kids learned it, and we made it as simple as possible for them, and we were able to have some success with it. You just named some kids that I always think about when I think of a Hall football. A.J. Gaeta, Jake Merkel, James Martino, Stephen Bruss, tons of other guys that you could throw in there, but it seemed like you always had wide receivers. Always. In high school football, that is usually not a thing to have. You were there eight years, and it seemed like you always had at least one or two guys that you could feel comfortable getting the ball through, whether it was a deep route, as a slot receiver. Just as a coach, how was that so beneficial to have guys that you could trust to, to throw the ball to? Well, that's great. Cause, I mean, if you got a quarterback that can you know, really throw it and be a spin the ball for you and you don't got nobody that can catch it, you're kind of in trouble. Well, this past season, we didn't really have the receiver-type kids. We, you know, that's, we went back more to the double tight end with the wing tee, and we, we just didn't have the kids that you know we felt were good enough to play them spots. And I thought we had a couple quarterbacks with both percentages that could you know spin it and, if we needed to, get the ball out. But uh, we've had kids that bought into the receiving, and, and you know, Coach Brary coached receivers, and he did a good job with them guys, and a lot of uh, natural ability, too, with a lot of them kids. You just brought up Mac Resetich. You know, you had him as freshman year, moving on the next three years of his high school career. What did you see with him as a player, as a quarterback, as, you know, maybe he could do other things? Because I know he wasn't going to be scheduled as a quarterback. Things happened where he got put in that position. But as for him as a player, what do you think his potential could be? I think the sky's the limit for Matt. He's a very, very good athlete. And, you know, if he stays on the straight and narrow and, you know, does what's expected of him, I, I think there's, there's big things for Mac in, in all three sports. He's going to be one of the best to come out of all if he can continue to grow and, and learn, and he's going to be a good one. You know, speaking about Mac, you just said, you know, on the straight and narrow, with life as it is in 2020 now, all the distractions that can happen to kids, as a coach, what are some things that you tell them or things that, you know, you try to preach in practices and games and stuff that are kind of life lessons? What are some things that you tell them to try to keep the distractions away? You know, it's every weekend we tell them to make good decisions. And, and you know what? If, if you got to think about it, you probably shouldn't do it. And that's one thing we've always told them is, you know, if, if you got to think about what you're doing, you probably shouldn't do it. So, you know, make good decisions for yourself and don't be a follower. 
you know, what's important to you, if playing sports is important to you, then, then you're going to stay away from the distractions. If it's not that important to you, you you'll, you'll go out and you'll, you'll do what everybody else is doing. And that's kind of how we approach it. That is one thing that I wish I would have listened to when I was younger. I could have—I was kind of a hard-headed kid, but I was a partier. Pretty solid <laughs> basketball player, but I could have been way better if I wouldn't have partied and actually did what I was supposed to. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of kids. I've had kids that come back to me and say, man, I messed up. And But you know what? There's nothing you can do about it now. Once high school is done, as far as that stuff goes, as far as playing sports goes, there's not a lot you can do about it. You missed your opportunity, and you can still become a good person and, and, and be successful in life by all, you know, by all means. But as far as just, you know, playing high school sports and that goes, you got four years to get it done, and you, know, you got the rest of your life to do that other stuff. Yep, some people realize it, some people don't. It's all on an individual, what they want to do. Yeah, definitely. But even if you don't realize it when you're playing sports, hopefully you realize it soon after and uh, get some stuff together. Right, and get your life together, and that's the more important thing out of all this. So Definitely true story. What are some you know highlight games or moments of your career that you'll forever remember? Well, getting the first win was big because we started out, what, 0-7 that year. I think we won our eighth game. And uh, making the playoffs the following year and getting things rolling, those were all big things, you know. We beat Kiwani came in that year. I think that was just, yeah, that was the same year. They had scored late in the game, and we needed to win to guarantee ourselves a playoff game. They were ninth or tenth in the state, and for some reason they kicked the ball deep to Colin Iamini, and he returned it. We went for two, and Hammond scored on a on a speed sweep. We ended up beating them and going down to Bismarck Henning and and winning down there. And, Got to play a home playoff game. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, as, as it happened, they were bigger than the next thing because it was a first-time deal, you know, for me as a coach. The, one of the biggest disappointments was the losing to uh, Anna Juan that year with Hammond and Pullum and those guys. Jake Merkel, the game we had a big lead in and kind of choked down the stretch there. I mean, there's a lot of firsts and things that happened. Winning the conference was, you know, was a big deal to us because we had never done it as a coaching staff and that kind of stuff. You remember all that stuff. Even the bad stuff, the games you lose. Like Eastland Pearl City that year, they won state. We gave them a great game. I think it was 27-20 or something like that. Those were the things you remember. I was at the Eastland game. I almost teared up. <laughs> like, that was a great game. I wanted you guys to win so bad. They were a really good team, and our kids came out and played really physical with them and put ourselves in a position to be there at the end, and we had the ball at the end, and we just couldn't punch it in. Do you remember the losses more than the wins? A lot of coaches do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I always think of that Anawan game. I think of what could have been with that team and or the Eastland game. And, but there was some great wins that, that year in 16 when we went week nine up to uh, Erie Prophetstown, and... I think we were down 27-7 in the fourth quarter and ended up winning 28-27. You remember them too, but the bad losses I think I remember more. You know, the, the losses you think you could have you won them games and, and you go back and reflect on things you did and, you know, look at the film again and, and just think, wow, I could have done this or we could have done that. But you didn't, so you ended up where you were. There's two Hall football games I'll never forget. One was week one. And it was in Fulton, and it started raining. The light went out. Yeah, that was 16 also. That was with Fulham and Merkel and Hammonds. That was crazy. 
we got delayed right before halftime. We had to come back out and play like a minute something and then go to halftime after a long delay. It was a late night, I remember. And Fulton was a decent team then. It was a pretty good game. And that was a long night. I remember that. I remember getting back to the paper because I had to go to the paper after the game. I don't think I got home till like 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning. I'm sure you were a little later than us, but it was a long night. I remember that. And then the other game I remember, I believe it was 2018, the game against Princeton at your place. And you had the, uh, I guess, running back pass. It looked like a flea <laughs> flicker that won the game. Oh, yeah. They had us beat. We had uh, our double pass in where we threw behind line of scrimmage to uh, James Montino. And Steven had beat his guy down the field. And whether he had beat him or not, I think James was throwing it. So Steven caught it and we scored. And beat him on that play yeah that was a pretty exciting night and that was also the night that the press box caught on fire <laughs> yep i was in the press box right next yeah. to Kevin Hieronymus from the bcr and yeah. he looks at me and he's like do you smell something i'm like no not really and then i look out the window and there's this a uh, cloud of smoke so i peek my head out and I see, like, kids running the other direction. One screamed fire, and then the next thing I know, I see sparks and flames, and I'm like, okay, it's time to go. <laughs> and everybody yeah. started running out. Yeah, that was quite a night, too. That was a big delay there. And I was involved in a lot of delays. Uh, my second year up at Bureau Valley, we had to leave and come back the next day to play. And was, was it last year? Two years ago, we had to go back to Newman two years ago. Never did get the game started, but yeah. Yeah, the fire and, and the play at the end of the game, and yeah, that was that was an interesting game itself. There, yeah, those are two good ones you remember. And it was raining, so that was what was even weirder that it there was yeah. fire. It was a mud bowl, yeah, yeah. Because after the fire, I went to the other side, so I went to Princeton sideline, and when James threw the pass, he got drilled on the sideline. I was literally like probably two feet from him when he got pushed to the sideline. He might have slid under the bleachers over there. <laughs> Pretty close to it. He got yeah. rocked going onto the sideline after he threw the ball. Quite a memorable game there, too, that play and, and finishing that off. Yeah, and besides that split second when Stephen Bruss caught the ball, he was actually guarded pretty close. He just Yeah, they, they did have pretty good coverage on that. He had, Stephen had gotten a couple steps on the kid, which he got on most people. He made a good catch and run on that after, after the throw. Yeah, I'll never forget both sidelines kind of erupting. Princeton erupting because they were mad and Hall erupting because they just won the game. That was awesome. It's always good with Princeton and Hall. It's always good rivalry. Speaking of, I guess that's going to go down as your last game. You got to the second round this past season and fell to Princeton at Hall, actually. That's going to be your last your last memory. What do you remember about that game? I remember our kids really sucking it up and playing great defense and forcing some turnovers in that game and keeping us in it and I just think our kids played their hearts out against a, a team that was probably one of the best Princeton teams I've seen in quite a while. You know, we got beat pretty handily, I think 41 to nothing the, during the season and four or five weeks later we play them to a 16 nothing game and it was 6 nothing at halftime and you know, going back and looking and, and seeing and we were one step away from Marshall Walk breaking one before the half there he got tripped up, and, and I mean, he breaks that. It's a tie game, or we're up one going into the half. And I just think our kids played their hearts out and, and left everything on the field that day. And I couldn't have been more proud of, of the way them kids played and, and the season they had. For a team that had 
in youth football that didn't. I don't even think they won a game in youth football. They won two games as freshmen, and they won four games as sophomores. They would end up seven and four as seniors. So there's a team that went through and bought into everything we did and did things on their own and, and had success and wanted nothing more than to win. Being a coach at Hall, I would say Princeton is either your one number one or number two rival. Is it a gut-wrenching feeling knowing your last game was a loss to Princeton Tigers? Honestly, never really thought about that until you just brought it up. <laughs> nice. But yeah, now it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like now. Yeah, it is. I never really thought that. Thought about that. To be quite honest, I never really thought that that was gonna be uh, my last. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Thanks for that, Brandon. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, I'll live with it. So now you're gonna come back for one game this upcoming season, beat your Prophetstown, <laughs> then retire? Yeah. <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think I'll lift the bills. <laughs> and sorry for Erie Prophetstown. I just picked a team that I know you guys play every year. <laughs> yeah. So you've been around football, you know, pretty much your entire life. Who were some of your favorite players growing up? The best two players I think I ever seen at Hall. Are you talking about high school football? Yeah, I was actually. At Hall, the best two players I ever seen growing up and as an adult. I'd say were John Romanoli in the 70s, early 70s, and young Eric, Eric Bryan Jr. When he played was probably, those two were probably the two best players I ever seen at all. Overall football players, you know, doing it in, in all three aspects. Eric Bryan, he is the athletic director at Hall. I never got to see him play, obviously. What was it about him as a football player that, you know, made him a guy that you remembered? defensively he was always in the right spot you know and that comes from knowing your your assignments and everything I get that but he was just so athletic and like when I heard his numbers I, I can't remember exactly but like he had like 20 some interceptions in his career that's just amazing for a high school football player you know especially in that you know the year when they didn't really throw the ball all the time you'd run into a team now and then from the suburbs or something in the playoffs that did but for the most part the conference teams you know ran the ball he had a great running back. He had that shoulder dip he did with always everybody would bite on it and he'd get outside off it. And he was just an all around great player. He, and you know, return specialist too and just a great football player. And he would have played in the late nineties? Well, he was on the ninety five state championship team. He was a sophomore that year. So he was, you know, ninety five or ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. So he helped the Red Devils win a state championship in 95 and then finish second in 96? Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. And the other guy that you said, sorry, I forgot his name, John? John Romanoli. He was from Cherry. He was a running back, linebacker type guy. That was with uh, Kelly Kane and uh, and Dan Darlington coaching. One of them teams back then beat Jet, broke Geneseo's win streak. I remember being at that game as a little kid. And Jim was had some powerhouse football teams. Yeah, they had a 56-game win streak, and Hall beat them. And Hall was like a five, four and five team, five and four team that year. I know Teddy DeSurf was on that team, and trying to think of guys, but I don't remember. I was just a young kid. But yeah, there were some good teams in the 70s when Darlington and Kane were here. And there was kind of a lull until Gary took over in the 80s. And he had a long run. 
he's been great to me. You know, he came there when I was a freshman, so I played for Gary. And and anytime I had questions and anything, he was you know just a phone call away. I always got a hold of him and talked to him about not only X's and O's, just anything. And that's something I'll always be grateful for. And he was always there for me and helped out. Yeah, he was there, started, took over the program in 84 and coached until 2008. That's a pretty long run. Yeah, yeah, he had a good run there. And he had a lot of success. You know, once he got things right, you know, he struggled his first three years, but then he got he got the playoff team and, and it just rolled after that. And, you know, he always said success breeds success. And, you know, if you can get people to do what you need them to do and do the right things and, and you'll be fine. You're right. His first three years, not so good. He won four games in three years. And then he went on a roll. In the next 22 seasons, he made the playoffs 20 times, including two state championships and a runner-up season. So, yeah, that's a lot of success. He had a nice run. He did a great job. I don't think he gets all the credit he deserves, but he did. So when you took over the, the program, he was kind of like a mentor, so to say? Oh, absolutely. He, you know, he came and see me, see me the day I got hired and talked to me and laid it out right there and said, you know, anything you need, you let me know, give me a call, whatever. You know, like I said, I've known Gary since I was a freshman. I, I played baseball for him for four years and, you know, he, him and Coach Smith came the, when I was a freshman, they came to Hall. And hell, Coach Smith's still coaching. <laughs> 45 years, 44 years later. The grizzled veteran. Yeah, he's grizzled, all right. <laughs> so with you leaving Hall, do you know who they plan to put in place? No, I know they've interviewed. I'm sure it'll be coming out soon when they when they decide to hire someone. Then I have no idea who it'll be or who even applied, to tell you the truth. I know off my staff, I think, uh, I think Nick Garini applied. But other than that, I'm not sure. You know, I've heard rumors. There was a guy from Star County that applied. I don't know of anybody else, so I'm sure they got to get it in place here soon. Yeah, definitely. It's already April and time's flying, so yeah. But then again, I mean, you don't know what this, what's going to come of everything here, so whether they have a fall season or not, you know, who knows? I would hope for the sake of the kids and everything that there is a fall season, but I don't know. I know the IHS, they said they would still hope to have a spring season, but boy, that just, every day that they don't get, you know, a chance is a day they're losing, so I don't know. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I don't think we're going to have a spring season. I don't think so either, but, you know, you try to, I think they're trying to keep some hope for the kids. and They should do that. And I'm not, like I said, yeah. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but just looking at the way things are going, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't even know if we'll go back to school this year, so I don't think that looks real good either. No. What really makes me mad, though, is all the time that I spent in winter jackets at baseball games and track meets getting rained on because the weather is awful and teams are trying to get games in, which is understandable. And then a year where there's no sports because we're quarantined and there's this virus thing, the weather has been absolutely phenomenal for sports. Yeah, it has been a pretty good spring. Not awful. I mean, this this week here is probably the worst week we're going to have. And that's just because it's going to be cold. Yeah, so I'm mad at Mother Nature. For the last 15 years, I was freezing during the spring, and I hated it. Especially at baseball games when you're sitting there just, you know, shivering, but you're like, hey, I got to be here. Let's make the best of it. And then now 
would be a great time to go to games and you can't. <laughs> yeah, I know I did about 17, 19, 17 or 18 years of uh, fresh soft baseball. So, And you're right, we've had a lot better spring this year than we would than we've had in the past. But for the most part, the springs are pretty brutal. So before I let you run off into the sunset here on the podcast, what are you going to do next with, you know, football kind of behind you? I don't know. I mean, I'm going to take it easy, spend some time with my girlfriend who's gone through cancer for the past three years and spend more time with her and go up and see the grandkids more and watch them play a little bit and see what comes along, I guess. You know, they say you never say never. He might be back. He might not be, you know. At this point, I don't really see it happening, but that could change tomorrow. Who knows? True. That is very true. I have done stories before when a coach says he's retired and (laughs) giving it up, and then like a month later, he's back as a coach. Yeah. I don't foresee that happening. I think Hall will find a quality guy to take over, and and they'll be in good shape. And I I don't know if I really ever see myself coaching anywhere else. I'm a Hall guy. And I'll do what I can to help them and help the new guy out and show him, you know, anything he needs to know. We'll see what happens, though. Well, Coach, it was awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you for spending some time with us. And, you know, I wish you the best. And I guess you're, it's weird saying retirement. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, resignation. (laughs) I don't know what you would say. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And I always enjoy talking to you, Brandon. Have a great day.